Hello and welcome back to Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. This podcast is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, and to learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, www.fbcg.net. You can find more episodes of the podcast or check out our pastor's blog, Drawing Near, over at our site. If you found the podcast to be helpful or of interest to you, we'd ask you to consider recommending it to someone in your life who might enjoy it or benefit from it. Thanks. Today's topic is forging a philosophy of worship, which builds upon the theology of worship covered in our last episode. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of FBC Gonzalez, and our Associate Pastor, Jared Lamberth. In this episode, Pastor Jim and I talk about what a philosophy of worship is and where it comes from. We talk about some of the things we value most in a philosophy of worship, and finally, we discuss how our philosophy of worship provides intentionality and shapes practical decision-making in the church's corporate gathering. Hi, I'm Jim Law here with Jared Lamberth uh, at the Running the Race podcast. This is number 14 in our podcast, uh, which was begun last uh, July. We're talking about worship these days, specifically today on subject, we'll be on the subject of philosophy of worship. Last time, a couple weeks ago, we uh, were discussing the theological foundations of worship. And just as a recap of that, you know, looking at important passages in the Word of God, Jared, that form um, our theology of worship, Isaiah 40, which contains one image after another, the greatness of God, mm. uh, Isaiah is in awe of him. Uh, I read this week that uh, the late R.C. Sproul said, people in awe never say church is boring. And yes. So, you know, in reading Isaiah 40, uh, the importance of the word uh, leading us and informing us on what worship is. Um, also, we you know, looking at the Psalms, Psalm 95, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Right. I think of Psalm 34, Jared, where it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's a beautiful call to worship. Uh, when we gather together. And just looking at some of the terminology and informing a theology of worship, I think of the Hebrew word shaka, bow down, which is um, in passages like Genesis 22, 5, where Abraham says to the young men as they make their way to Mount Moriah, Abraham and Isaac, he said to the young men, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And that word shaka means to prostrate oneself, uh, to bow down. And so often with the use of worship in our, you know, vernacular, uh, it, it could mean, you know, that Abraham and Isaac were going to go and offer some prayers and sing some songs right. and give an offering. Abraham might've led in a devotion and then come back. Right. Uh, when instead it could read that I and the boy are going to go over there and put ourselves on the ground in humility and return to you. Mm. That's good. Um, so humbling ourselves is an important part of what it means to to worship and uh, to exalt uh, the Lord. So one of the greatest adjustments that we probably need to make in our theology of worship is that um, that it's something that begins in us. So the preparation of worship to humble ourselves before the Lord right. and to exalt Him um, for who He is, seeing Him for who He is, who we yes. are and who He is. Um, Scott Annual is producing some wonderful resources at uh, religiousaffections.org. He's the chair of worship ministry, uh, the worship ministry department at Southwestern. Mm. He said, don't say worship and preaching. 
worship and prayer. When you do, you equate music with worship. It's all worship. Yeah. Preaching, <laughs> prayer, singing, scripture reading, giving, baptism, Lord's Supper, all of it um, forms our theology of worship. And not just when we gather for the church, but the private aspect of that in the believer's life, and that everything we do, we're to do for the glory of God. Mm. But yeah, today good. we're going to transition and look at you know, forging a philosophy. Why do we do the things that we do, particularly in the gathered church? And, you know, how does our theology and our philosophy move us forward in what we would hope to be faithfulness to God? Right, right. So uh, for me, a philosophy of worship really takes shape as we ask questions of our theology of worship. So for example, if we ask, what is the gospel? What do we believe the gospel is? We we would hold that God is the creator and he's holy. Man is created and owned and uh, owes an accounting of his life to God and uh, is a sinner and is not holy. Uh, and that Christ was God's glorious and wonderful response uh, to that. And that we must respond to that uh, that gospel, if we if we hold that that is what the gospel message is, then we should see all of those elements worked out in our uh, practical implementations of worship. And so, uh, we ought to that ought to inform our order of worship. There should be elements in which we're talking about how God is holy. There ought to be elements where we're talking about how we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be elements where we. Uh, are uh, talking about what Christ, who he is and what he accomplished Mm -hmm. for us. Uh, And of course there should be segments where we respond to what we've uh, affirmed in those, in those truths. Another question, you you know, on that point, Jared, I just, uh, when we have new members come in in our discovering church life, I, I always say to them, regardless of what we may be talking about in the full counsel of God's word, um, we never graduate from the gospel. Yeah. That is our, our life is what Christ has accomplished for us. Right. And it really should provide um, some, some great intentionality and direction for uh, how we plan our worship services. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe some things are emphasized more than others on certain days, but as a whole, as we look at those things, they, they should all be present. Another question we might ask is, what, what do we believe about the Word of God? Oh. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. Um, and so, um, it's inspired it's, and, and that we would preach from its whole council mm-hmm. and that we would sing from its whole council and, um, uh, that the preaching of the word is central mm-hmm. in our, in our order. It's not, uh, it's not afterthought. It's not minimized, mm-hmm. uh, in any way we might ask who are God's people. Uh, we're largely today going to be thinking of our philosophy of worship in a congregational way of thinking about worship. And so we want to sing in a key that everyone can join and at a volume that encourages participation. Right. You know, I was thinking too, uh, Mike Cosper mentioned, um, and I think I might've referenced this last time, but um, you know, when the church gathers, is it a concert hall or a banquet hall? Right. Yeah. It's a banquet hall where the full body is participating in um worship through the word guided in every aspect of the worship service and you know thinking about the centrality of the word in christian um worship um the church's worship martin luther was asked about the gains of the reformation and he said i simply taught and preached and wrote god's word otherwise i did nothing the word did it all Mm. 
And so, you know, how the congregation responds to that, attitudes about the scripture, that we're to love God with our mind Mm -hmm. and, you know, to submit ourselves to having to think through a passage of scripture, a hymn that may be nuanced uh, in a way that is challenging. Right. Um, All of this is part of um, um, seeking him to have better understanding of who he is and um, what he is to us. Right. And so asking uh, who are God's people and and thinking about this community that we find ourselves in and how we're supposed to work, that is a distinction, or there is a distinction rather, between private worship and and corporate worship. And that brings us to one of the, um, as we talk about some of the values that we hold high in a philosophy of worship, the first one would be uh, that it's congregational. There's There's a difference between what we do together as the body and what we do personally, mm-hmm. um, and really two different senses in which we use the word worship. In the in the idea being that, uh, you know, I can go, um, I, I can worship on my own. I can I can worship when, um, you know, some some thought is brought to mind that reminds me of who God is and what He's done in my life and all those things. And that that can take place anywhere. Uh, that could take place while I'm uh, listening to Christian radio. It could take place while I'm. Uh, listening to a, uh, a concert, it could take place while I'm watching a sunset. But those aren't congregational worship. Uh, congregational worship is distinct from those things. And so we need to put weight on and think about the importance of the body doing certain things together to identify together in these things. So yes, there's singing, but there's there's also all these other things that the 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 uh, annual quote that you mentioned uh, brings into play that when we're when we're praying, when we're giving, when we're reading the word, mm-hmm. uh, we're receiving expository preaching, we're observing the Lord's Supper, we're responding in faith together. Yeah, there's so many forces in our culture, Jared, that are are are, are working against that. Mm-hmm. Where it's 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 a virtue to be anonymous, and so to slip into a gathering. And we want to say that we were in church, but we really don't want to know anybody, and we don't want to let ourselves <laughs> to be right. No, no, I mean uh, that's a common uh, mentality. But we're we're called to gather and um, and to 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 live life together, mm-hmm. and uh, that is um, it, it is very very important truth. Absolutely. And I think it's a part of the the Christian life that stands in opposition to the culture around us that um, I'm a part of something bigger. I'm, I'm a part of a body. I'm responsible to, I'm accountable to this body. Um, and that really kind of smacks the, the rugged individualism of the day away. You know, some, some years ago I, I was, this thought came to me that, you know, one of Satan's greatest strategies is to get a believer alone mm-hmm. by alone. I mean, not, uh, intimately involved in a church family, mm-hmm. get them alone and then beat the life out of them. Right. And God's, uh, God's answer to that strategy is the local church. And yes. worship. Yes. So when we, as we think about this philosophy of worship, that that one aspect right there that it's congregational really has a lot of weight in some of the other things that we that we talk about. One of the other ones is Bible saturated. You know, we we've talked about that a little bit already. That uh, there's a prominence of expository preaching in our worship. Uh, we want to read the Word together, uh, which we still do. I'm grateful for our uh, Scripture times together. Um, and so um, we're singing the scripture to each other and back to God. 
it's hard to mess up a lyric when it came straight from the word. <laughs> well, you know, I think of the, the command to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, that we're to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Right. And then another thing that that does for us as we think about uh, worship being more than just our, our singing, that the whole counsel of the word brings us to things that otherwise we might not do. And so I remember um, taking the time to have solemn assembly. Yeah. That the word brings you there. Uh, and so to have times where we're, we're fasting, to have times of brokenness before the Lord, that, that's also not a very natural thing for us in, in the flesh to want to do. And I remember so, the solemn assembly in particular um, some years ago. We spent the first five minutes in silence. Mm-hmm. And I remember someone was visiting. They came to me and said, "Wow, this is uh, this is taking God seriously. I've ne- I've never done that before, mm-hmm. and um, probably need to revisit that as a regular discipline." Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's such a, a, a really great thing about um, making a systematic approach to the the scripture, and so that uh, it it reminds us of the things that we otherwise uh, might not do, and so that really kind of takes us from. Uh, we're not just talking about what we what we sing in one particular uh, song. We're we're bigger than a song. We're bigger than even just this one worship service. But as we look at the the health of the body, and as we look at planning worship over over months and months or years, what are the things that we want to be known for? What are the things that we want to give time to? And uh, I think being Bible saturated keeps us on a, a calendar that makes sense uh, and and gives us the full the full. Um, uh, counsel of God's word as we uh, look at body life. Uh, another important distinction would be excellence without extravagance. I'm borrowing that from uh, uh, another church where where I uh, served as an intern, and they they use that terminology a lot. And I really kind of fell in love with that. That we we want things to be excellent. They don't need to be extravagant. Um, I think the way that uh, others have have used that is excellence without distraction that um, we want to bring our very best to the Lord, and yet what we bring is not the thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the end itself. The Lord is the end. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's a high calling for excellence, and yet it can't, it can't become uh, what we worship. So we don't want mediocre offerings. You know, I think it comes back to the thought, too, that uh, oftentimes the mentality um, in church life is uh, what we would never give to a boss or a teacher or a school mm-hmm. or a coach, we freely give to the Lord. Right. And um, I, I am thankful for uh, Woody's um, desire and leadership to offer excellent mm-hmm. music, musical offerings. That is, uh, I'm so grateful for his giftedness in that area. Yep, that's been such a, a wonderful part of being uh, being here at this body is to see that pursuit um, done done well, um, and I, I think about you know there are churches where um, the the talent pool may be different, right? Um, and so I want to be clear that we're we're not saying that um, you know if you don't have class triple A musicians on on staff that you know that that's not good or that that's not worship. Um, every church is different, but it should be the best that we can offer, mm-hmm. and uh, that that pursuit should be what we're what we're after. And there's sacrifice. Mm. Um, the musicians work hard. Yeah. Um, the those who those who preach work hard. Mm. Um, there's intentionality when the elders come and 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 pray and bring thoughts 
about the offering before before the body. And so all those things, I think, are, are ways that effort and time is offered in sacrifice. And um, that's that's important, too, in a in in a second Samuel 24 kind of way that we we don't bring offerings before the Lord that cost us nothing. You right. know, I think we've all been there in places where, um, you know, there's somebody looking around kind of, you know, what are we going to sing today? And, you know, worship's about to start in five minutes. I'm not I'm not sure that's <laughs> that's a good right. model. And so um, and so I think it's important for us to, to pursue that as best we can. Uh, a desirable balance might be uh, Piper. Uh, I, I saw his philosophy of worship recently, um, and he he says it this way: that people's attention not diverted by shoddy ministry, like saying, "Ooh, that's bad." That's bad, yeah. right? And so, not shoddy ministry, nor excessive finesse, elegance, or refinement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, wow, what a what an important thing to say mm-hmm. that we want to bring the best that we possibly can, and yet. Um, it, it, there's a balance there between uh, not bringing something that's that hasn't been prepared well, uh, or hasn't uh, hasn't had sacrifice put in, and yet on the other hand, not allowing that to become an idol or yeah. more than more important than it should be. Uh, there's a value of old and new. This would be another distinction. Uh, the old, which we would be thinking about hymns, and not that there aren't new hymns, but in a generic way, that that the hymns connect us with those who've come before us. Right. Um, there's something incredibly powerful to me to know, like when we sing "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," yes. or you know, that we're aligning ourselves with believers who have believed these things and sung these things to the glory of God through the centuries. Through yeah. through the centuries, and you know, we we value new songs as the psalmist uh, uh, sing to the Lord a new song, a new a new reference to His. Uh, work in our life and his salvation in our life. We're in the church's blessing that I think of in Christ alone that has come out in the last uh, 20 years and yeah. uh, the, the contribution of the Gettys and many, many others who have um, um, uh, given a, a, you know, rich music um, and lyrics to the church to, to, to sing and worship. So I, I, you know, I, to align ourselves with, uh, what believers have believed and sung for centuries is incredibly um, encouraging and affirming to mm-hmm. me. Rather than, well, we just got started in 1996 or right. something. You know, <laughs> it's just that we, you know, we go back to our faith is in in the Scripture in Christ alone, and um, we affirm the apostles' doctrine and stand with them and sing to the glory uh, of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's a richness there and a. Um, a, a guard against becoming uh, maybe self-centered, the the you know the self-centeredness of this. We are the only ones who have ever been <laughs> that kind of that kind of thinking. Um, and then yet the new brings a freshness hmm. um, and um, utilizes what God is providing contemporarily. Why why would we think that that God suddenly stopped providing talented? Uh, and godly songwriters and 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 thinkers and uh, and musicians and all those things and so uh, I think it's sometimes easy to think that which is older is somehow more anointed than mm-hmm. what is contemporary but that isn't necessarily the case and one important distinctive that I that I picked up 
uh, early on, um, and actually I, would, I should give uh, Brother Woody credit for this as well. We had uh, gone on a visit, and uh, there was a um, uh, a person who was talking about their church experience, and um, uh, it was one of those visits where it, it almost turns into um, a litmus test for whether I'm going to come to your church or not, depending mm-hmm. on how you answer my questions about mm-hmm. worship. <laughs> and uh, and so, um, you know, those there are was, always fun visits, right? And so there's this the idea that. Um, you know, how, how much of what you do is contemporary, you know, how many slots are for contemporary and how many slots are for the hymns. And if you don't get that answer right, I may not be interested in it. And I remember his answer was so wise that, um, what we look for is excellence. And so as the Lord brings things that are appropriate for that particular worship service, and are excellent in what they what they bring to, and add to the service. We use that. Sometimes they're old. Sometimes they're new. Uh, sometimes the, a service may lean towards more of the things that are old, or lean towards more of the things that are contemporary. But on the whole, there's a value of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there, just because something's old doesn't mean it's excellent. Um, but not everything that's new is excellent either. Right. And so there's a pursuit of that. Yes. Um, and then theologically rich, um, that we worship with our hearts and our heads, that are um, the things that we that we sing and say and do in our worship um, should be approachable, but should also be challenging mm-hmm. to us. They should whet our appetite for for doctrine mm-hmm. and um, the nuance the nuance of a a, a, a well written hymn. Yes. Um, uh, for example, uh, I mentioned a mighty fortress. Uh, did we, in our own strength, confide our striving would be losing? Yeah. You know, to think that the artistry of that, the power of that, and you know, just um, bringing us to a place in worship where we're saying, "I am weak, you are strong." Um, did we, in our own strength, confide our our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. It's beautiful and rich and deep. And I think there should be a, a point where our children sing and understand what they're singing. Mm-hmm. And there should be parts that they that we sing and they should say, Dad, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. Mom, what what's that phrase mean? And it gives teachable moments, um, mm-hmm. which I think are, are beautiful. Well, um, there's a lot of uh, a debate about uh, uh, with regard to philosophy of worship or theology of uh, philosophy, theology of worship um, um, around two different views on how worship should go forth in the church: regulative and normative mm-hmm. principle. And uh, I, I don't want to get too far into that, other than to say the the regulative principle is a doctrine that insists that the church gathers for corporate worship only. And only what is found in Scripture or what God commands affirmatively is to be embraced and used. And so it's a very uh, focused um, approach to worship that eliminates a lot of um, uh, things that churches add to their Sunday gatherings. And then the normative principle of worship is uh, a doctrinal position that teaches that the worship worship in the church can include those elements that are not prohibited by Scripture. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a lot more latitude with that. D.A. Carson edited a book, um, Worship by the Book, and he said, for all their differences, the regulative or uh, normative, for all their differences, theologically rich and serious services from both camps often have more common content than either side usually acknowledges. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just, I, I think the warning in this is we don't want to offer strange fire. Right. When I see videos of churches uh, uh, meeting and they're hitting a beach ball around the, the yeah. church uh, as the prelude to the worship time, that, that's not something I want to want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when the pastor's swinging on a rope over the congregation and landing back on the platform as a part of a sermon, that's you know that's a, a sensation that I, I don't want to introduce in in the corporate worship. So sure. I, I think there is a danger of offering strange fire. So mm-hmm. I think Jared, maybe in the closing minutes of this podcast, if if we could maybe talk about why do we do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the philosophy of worship sits between our theology of worship. And then the practical implementations or the decisions that we have to make about uh, really pragmatic things like, well, what are we doing with the lights in this building? Right. Or, um, or, or what kind of volume or instrumentation do we use? How do you get from the lofty you know, theological thought to, you know, do I move this fader up or down on the, on the soundboard right now? And I think that's what the philosophy of worship helps us to do. And so uh, a big part of that, again, is understanding the distinction between congregational and private worship. So if we value congregational worship, and that, that's really what we're pursuing here, then we should have wide-ranging dynamics in our, in our, um, in our offering uh, volume-wise. Um, but it should be appropriate for the content. Uh, it shouldn't unnecessarily offend. But what it should mostly do is facilitate singing. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, again, singing is not the only part of worship. But when we are playing music, the end is not just the music itself, um, although certainly a valid form of expression before the Lord, but that we want to encourage singing. And I ought to be able to hear my brother mm-hmm. I should you know, some some places I've been I can't hear myself, um, but there, I should hear my brothers and my sisters um, singing and affirming these truths mm-hmm. together. That's an important thing. Uh, I would say the same about lighting. I think one of the the things that um, well I I suspect that a lot of things just aren't very intentional, and so what looks good and seems good is what happens um, without necessarily a lot of deep thought put in. Um, but when we think about lighting. Um, there are certainly parts of the, the sanctuary that we might want to um, bring focus to, and so we light them more or light them less. Uh, certainly for certain parts, we would uh, change that, change the lighting up and down. But for the most part, we would want to be um, not standing around in the dark. That, that's okay right. for, a, for a concert. That's, that's okay right. for a private worship experience. It's you and God standing there together, but that's not what corporate worship is. Corporate worship is, I'm here with my, with the body of believers. And so um, that whole atmosphere, Jared, if I could go back to the volume, mm-hmm. uh, again, referencing Cosper's book, Rhythms of Grace, he has an appendix in the back where he talks about the whole issue of sound and churches uh, uh, raise the, the sound level to uh, damaging mm-hmm. decibels. Right. And, um, you know, to think through that, that, um, is that facilitating, is it multi-generational in appeal too? Mm-hmm. You know, right. we, we have a multi-generation, five generations in this church and uh, cranking it out at 120 decibels is not going to 
is not going to appeal right. to you know four fifths of our church probably, right. and um, you know, so these are considerations. We we want to we want to worship together to hear and affirm as we come. We that love the Lord, I love the, the that that hymn, "Marching to Zion." Um, that we're we're marching to Zion. Mm-hmm. Let's seek Him together. Yeah, I think um, one of the other things that that has come to mind in thinking about all this is just the tools of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, versus idols to be worshipped. Um, and so sometimes people get really hung up on, you know, I remember when uh, the first PowerPoint screen happened and there was this hymnals or ancient history and uh, a lot of debate about those types of, of types of things. But to, to look at things like that and, and to let our philosophy of worship inform us, is this a tool that facilitates the goals that our philosophy of worship tells us we're trying to achieve when the body gathers for worship. If it is, then that's a tool that we can, we can use. And that could be an organ or an electric guitar or a, or an led light. It it could be anything. Um, but on the other hand, we have to be careful not to allow those things to become uh, a distraction used wrongly. And I was thinking about that, that, um, you know, if you flip on um, a YouTube music channel or, or, uh, or, or listen to secular, uh, secular music, the, the tools are used to glorify something. Mm-hmm. They're, they're used to glorify celebrity or, uh, or, or power or sex or, or lifestyle or whatever they are. And the church has the opportunity to use the tools that God has given for the purpose that God has given. Only we get, only we get to do that. Mm-hmm. And so to take those tools and to employ them in such a way that we're 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 investing in the eternal by glorifying God in worship um, with those tools. I think that's a, a, a huge thing. Um, and then just the removal of distractions, speaking broadly, um, <laughs> casting aside anything that hinders attention being on the Lord. So why do we why do we hate when the sound back when the soundboard feeds back? Well, because it hurts for one, <laughs> it's not pleasing, but because it's a distraction. And so um, we want to minimize those those types of things. And uh, those if things the, can be if important. The, if the building, you know, if it smells, right. or you know, these other things, you know, yep. there are practical considerations for that. So, Jared, as we come to the the end of this podcast, you know, the, the theology of worship, the philosophy of worship, really, our motivation for handling this subject is um, we want to we want to be faithful pastors, and we want to be a worshiping church. We want the joy of the Lord to abound um, among His people. Leland Riken wrote, um, earlier in this century, someone claimed that we work at our play and play at our work. Today, the confusion has deepened. We worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. So that was really profound mm-hmm. and, a, and a wake-up call that the first order for God's people is to worship Him and Him alone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and our ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for doing that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would enjoy it is a great thing. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.